Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Que cosa sucede? Ni hao, Puviet. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, intellectual, and artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. We have a great episode for you today with an intelligent guest. Luis Saboria stops by to talk about the ever-changing landscape of applying for a new position in the business world and how one can stand out both in an interview and on a resume. I've known Luis for quite some time now, and I met him while he was an undergraduate at Arizona State University where I was actually interviewing him. Now he's progressed into a young professional in Scottsdale, Arizona, where he is on the other side of the interview panel. During the last year, Luis not only switched careers, leaving one large company, but he also moved to 2,000 miles in the process, and, and I was really intrigued by it because through technology, applying for jobs looks nothing like it did in previous generations. Often an open position can have thousands of people applying. It's incredibly difficult to stand out in person, but is a Sisyphean task to stand out digitally. Luis has had recent experience doing both, so we brought him on the show to talk about what the business and corporate world looks like right now and how the days of a traditional 9-to-5 essentially don't exist. On today's conversation, Luis will chat about some tips for resumes, job interviews, and follow-up, and also the importance of having goals and hobbies. And it was that little piece of information that I thought was the most important thing of today's conversation. While a student at Arizona State University, Luis assisted underrepresented high school students in developing job skills and training and how to better understand the college application process. He's parlayed those experiences into being a successful young professional in Scottsdale, Arizona. Really thrilled to have him on the show. He's wise beyond his years. He's successful at what he does. And a big part of that is his desire to learn and to listen. He comes from a small town, which at times might hinder somebody's educational professional development. But Luis has made it a point to always seek out new strategies in which he can succeed. And I was excited for him to share some of those techniques. On top of that, he's my traveling partner. So hey, we had to bring him on for a chat. Thrilled for everyone to meet him. So let's go ahead and bring on Luis Saboria and let's learn. For a young professional applying for a new career, it's got to be challenging, especially during a pandemic. So what are some of the new difficulties you experienced while you were career hunting? Just a lot of norms are thrown out the window, right? The fact that uh, people get to work from home, I think it's uh, allowed them to have a larger scope when it comes to interviews and whatnot. I mean, you've been on panels before. It used to be you were on seven, eight interviews a day, and then they, they already blend in. And now you're seeing more, they can probably fit 14, 15 interviews in a day. So that's, that's been rough, right? You've got to get in there and you've got to somehow stand out. And we'll get into that later, but you've got to stand out into, in a manner that doesn't seem like you're trying really hard or you're trying to, you know, put yourself out there like willingly. So that's been a big one. Um, and I think just timetables have shifted. It used to be, you know, when you work in an office, you're there for eight hours and you have a, you know, have a time slot where I got to get to these emails. I got to go through this, prioritize that that's no longer the case. Now you may not hear back from people like on a regular business day, as soon as you would normally, like promptly, promptly before uh, COVID times. Now you may hear from them, you know, it could be three, four days later, or sometimes the opposite happens where you'll send them something, but they're working for some reason and it's 8 PM at night. And then they, they shoot you back an email and you're, you're not there to quickly follow up and answer it. So it, it poses little like scheduling conflicts that you have there. And then just the ability to just get lost. And, you know, with a bunch of white noise when it comes to other individuals also applying. Um, I think what, and then 
I think the, the biggest one of them all, if you're going to be interviewing, if you're going to be doing um, these kinds of like how we're doing right now, um, digital, it's a whole different set of tools because now you have to, you can't read the room like you used to. You can't walk in and tell by their body language or if they like their eyes drift or you can't, you can't see that. So realizing that when you're coming in here, you have to be concise. You know, you, for all I know, you are taking notes or you're looking at a different tab or you're looking at someone else's resume in the middle of all this. So I can't, if I start thinking about that, the next, you know, everything that follows after this is going to be really clunky or I'm going to be worrying about it. It's going to be just off time. So I think those are the big ones right now that I'm facing with, with interviews. I think that everyone's facing with interviews and I don't know if it's going to go away. You know, I think we're going to go into a hybrid model. It sounds absolutely horrible, fascinating and also like horrifying as well. Yeah. When you get into little habits of things, it, some structure is needed. And, I, and I, I do touch on that later, but you need structure. Throughout your career, you've helped underrepresented populations prepare for job skills. So you've been on both sides of the interview table. What do you feel are some of the most common mistakes from people being interviewed? I think people being having always having a canned response to everything, right? I think that's, a bit, that's the, the, the most, it's a turnoff. Uh, uh, being authentic goes a long ways. And it, sometimes it's not sexy. Sometimes it's not that answer that people are like, wow, you really, I mean, you pull through on that project. But it's exposing the fact that you're, you know, you have weaknesses and you have flaws. And sometimes just leaving it at that, you know, if they feel that they need to hear, well, did you prepare differently the next time around? Did you do something that was a little bit, you know, more successful? Did you learn from that mistake? Then answer that. But sometimes it's best to just say, no, this is what happened. I messed up. And it goes a long ways because now what you're doing is they'll, you know, you put it, you kind of bet a little, you bet, you place the bet and they're like, okay, I can, this person's being genuine. Um, I can trust them a little bit and I'm going to listen to what they got to hear or what they got to say because every, how many times do you hear, oh yeah, one of my weaknesses is X and then, but I'm really turning it into a strength because I'm doing that. And there's just nothing more eye rolling to someone when they hear that. Uh, what about so, when someone says, I'm a hard worker. That's always one you hear all the time. I hate that because how do I know you're a hard worker? And everyone else says you're a hard worker. But I mean, what, what is that? I mean, what does that mean to you? To me, it could be me working all eight hours and just, you know, going home and have, that's a hard worker. And then to the individual that's starting up his own business, that could be him working 20 hours every day for the next two years without really an income. So it's one subjective and two, it's kind of a narcissistic for you to just come out and say, I'm a hard worker and you should believe me. I mean, you're, you're, you're putting out a very, different kind of vibe that a lot of employers won't look for because you're, you're a dime a dozen. How many times have they heard that? And it just, it goes without even going that way. So I think that that's one, but I also think that um, when someone asks you a question, you got to make sure that you, you're the expert in the room. You know, they don't know what you did. They don't know what projects you've been on. So when answer it can, you know, concisely, but answer it without any second thoughts or hesitations and, you know, this is, you know, this is the project. This is what I did. And this was the, the result. And the best thing that could ever happen is it's good to have a few questions from them. It's best that they have no questions, you know, and that's where reading the room can also come in handy because sometimes they really just don't want to follow up. But most of the time when they have no questions, you've answered everything. You've checked the box out. And much like a sales call, that awkward silence is okay to be there. You got to let it sit, let it ruminate because, you know, you've answered. Now the ball's on their court. They'll ask you if they, if they feel like it's an unsatisfactory answer. They'll, they'll ask you. So there's no reason for you to toss it out there. You mentioned about being concise. So the opposite would be rambling on. Why is rambling on a negative thing? Yeah, well, you know, rambling, I've done it myself. 
we've all done it, right? When you first start interviewing, you think that the more words you say that mm -hmm. it's going to convey a, a greater message and it's just not the case. Especially when you if you see them writing down, you're always like, I got to tell more, I keep them writing. Yeah, exactly. And you don't know what they're writing down. For all there's writing down is this guy's talking a lot. I mean, that could, that could be their note as well. Rambling is just not going to get you there because if you really were confident, you would lay out what happened and the result and that would be it. And when you ramble, it makes you seem like you're second guessing yourself, like you have to validate every action you did. And it, it's just not a good look. You know, that, that, it's not a confident look. It's not someone that has been in the industry for a long time. Um, I had the chance to sit down with one of my managers and just with her watch some of the interviews that she was uh, conducting. And I, it was for a higher role. It was for a, a director role that they were going for. But they just wanted an audience, really, to fill some of the seats. And not one of those candidates had long answers. These are high-level individuals or they're looking to make it to the C-suite or VPs. And so that they had, they came in with metrics, they showed it, and then they walked away. There was nothing of, uh, you know, uh, fluff to it. So I think substance is key in making sure that you're concise and really just break it down, two steps, three steps, and then walk away. I think it's a wonderful point because there's power in the pause through public speaking or whatever it may be. When someone pauses, the audience is like, this guy's confident enough, this person's confident enough that they can pause and they're not worried about it because too many other people are, are scared if they stop talking or their silence, they feel like I got to feel it with whatever just rambling like you mentioned. The one thing I keep hearing though is you don't want to be like everybody else. You don't want to say the same things. You don't want to say those canned responses. So you got to stand out, which from what you told me earlier is completely petrifying because it seems like it's becoming harder and harder and more challenging to stand out. What are some of your favorite techniques to leave a lasting impression during an interview? This one, obviously, I learned from you many years ago. This one's a key one. You always have to, and you always have to make sure that you do this. And best scenario is this: always have a handwritten note, and um, don't come in with a, you know, like a, 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 a template of them. You know, come in with a genuine one. So when you don't write it until after you've had the interview, and make it personal. Like, you know, maybe you guys talked over, you know, what your favorite coffee is, or maybe you have two different, you know, the same alike cats, or you whatever, have, have the same interest in something. So when you write it and then you come back and you deliver it the next day, if not possible because you're in Chicago and they flew you out there, you drop it off with the secretary. That's best case scenario. Um, so there's a handwritten thank you card after the interview. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. After the interview, a day later best. If you got to get it in that day because you're flying out, you just, you know, make sure that it, basically what you want to do is make it seem like it's a seamless act. Like it's not, you know, I'm trying to make a big show of it, you know, so you drop it off with a secretary and that goes a long ways. Second best is going to be sending them an email the next day. That's great. For God's sakes, please make sure that when you're, if you do for some reason, send it off your phone, take off the, the signature that says sent from iPhone or sent from wherever it's going to make sure it, it, it conveys that I'm a professional, and, you know, you know, maybe your name, your phone number, and then you walk away from that. That's a, that's a great practice. And I think that more people should be doing that. No one does it. It's an extra effort. And um, we're not in that time period where people are really putting in that extra effort. It's more of a mass production. And, you know, let's see how many of these I can get back. Um, so that's big. Another one's going to be, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a little classy. If you have the time and if you have the means, you know, go to Starbucks, come in and, you know, have a cup of coffee for each person. Get black coffee, you know, make sure there's nothing in it. Bring in the condiments or the ingredients on the side so they can make their own, you know, preferred cup, cup of coffee. But bring that in. You know, that goes a long ways. And when you do that, 
it just it, it eases attention. It's no longer they'll say, "Oh my God, thank you so much," and you already got a conversation going. Versus, well, what are you doing here? Why are you Why are you uh, applying for this role? What interests you? It, it, it's just it rolls off the tongue much much easier. And again, no one's going to do that, and that that's really that's a big way to stand out. Lastly, I think this is where it all kind of wrap wraps up with some of these points is. Don't forget about the secretary or the administrative assistant, and don't forget about the recruiter. Most of the time, people come out, you know, you get, the recruiter is the one that brought you in, and they're the ones that are going to calibrate with the team later. So if you have everyone involved in that, now even the recruiter, she gets her own, like, remarks. She has a, a screening um, that she, uh, interview that she does. So she may have not had, you know, maybe a not a 10 the first time, but you brought her in a coffee, maybe you brought her in a thank you card. Well, that seven now goes up to a nine, and it goes a long ways. Those are the little things that are going to add up and eventually just bring you into the into the last interview, which is probably going to be you know usually just a sign off by the director or the VP, and then you're you're good to go. Those are all fantastic, and I, I love your approach of stand out, be different, be different. How about during the actual interview, during the questions? You mentioned being concise earlier. Are there anything else that one can do while in the interview to set themselves apart? I think uh, this one's actually part of, even part of the last question, that this is a way to open up the interview. Um, a big thing that I do now is a live resume, and it's, a, it's basically an informal resume. It's, uh, you know, this is what I've done. These are part of some of the projects I've been. Keep it short, and it's just pictures. It's not a long way. It's just pictures on a presentation, and then, oh, this is what I like to do on my free time. These are my goals that I'm working towards. I want to be in this role, brand marketing or, you know, logistics. And then it kind of pictures like this, and then I'm going to, I'm being proactive. I'm going, I'm taking these classes or I'm learning about the software. So it's just like a broad paint, uh, but just really a paintbrush that just kind of gets to know you um, and make it fun. Like mine personally has like me out in San Diego, um, but also me working at Kellogg's or I mean, mo moving in into a brand new place in Florida and talking about the beach. It just, it's just a way for them to get to know you a little bit and then uh, it just makes it more informal. And that's really what you want. It's not so much for their. Uh, as much as they enjoy it, it's not so much for them, it's more for yourself so you kind of disarm anything that's going on there. And taking notes is a huge, huge uh, uh, factor. When you walk in and you have a nice little black portfolio or maybe some kind of notebook and you start taking notes like, you know, oh, wh what are you looking for in this individual? You know, what separates the great from the not so good or from the great from the average? They're going to pay attention to that. They're going to see, oh my God, this guy, you know, this guy or this gal is really, they're really into this. So. It goes a long ways, but it also shows that you're prepared and you truly care, which also can help you later because at the end of the, of the interview, they'll always ask you, do you have any, any questions for us? And if you've ever walked out of an interview and not had a question, you've lost it right there. I can tell you, you've, I mean, unless for some reason you are just stellar and it's exactly what you're the, the person that they're looking for, you've lost it. You've walked out of an interview and you've pretty much given up that job because you gotta have a question. And they, they don't have to be elaborate, they don't have to be anything crazy, but they can be even easy ones such as, again, what separate, what are the attributes you're looking for for this uh, individual? What separates the, the great performers from the average performers? But if you really wanna get into something more, you know, like, you know, what brought you to this industry? Go through their LinkedIn ahead of time, find out what company they came from, or maybe what university they got into. And notice if there's a trend of them always being a recruiter, or maybe always being in that same line of, um, that same function, or if they've jumped around and ask them what their interest is, you know, why did you go from marketing to sales, or why did you go from, you know, supply chain to um, a management role? And so that's important because now they're like, oh, 
I've got to talk about myself. And whenever you can get someone to talk about themselves and you can get them to stroke their ego, that's just an old sales tactic. It's, it's over. You know, the more they can talk about them, the less they're going to worry about you. And they're going to remember, oh, that, he was a really friendly person. Yeah. And really, that's all that matters at the end of the day. They just want to know, does he vibe with us? Is he a good person? You've already checked off all the boxes. That's why they brought you in the interview. It's your job to get that baton across the, the, the line. So. I think that's incredibly sage advice, and that's another opportunity when you ask that question to be taking more notes with it. One thing you mentioned right there, you mentioned about getting the interviewer talking. So it sounds like the question is not important. You almost like you don't have to care about the answer to the question because that's not the goal. The goal is to get them talking. Is that how you feel? That's, a, that's exactly right. I, that's, again, you stroke their ego and they get to talk, they're going to remember you in a much more pleasant manner. So yeah, you don't have to care. Um, for the most part, if you ask, when you start asking these questions, you're going to find out a lot of their answers are the same ones as other interviewers and other functions and other jobs. So you already know the answer, but it's important for you to ask that question. Um, you know, and when it comes to note taking, do your best to take notes. Sometimes you won't have a whole lot to take notes of, but you pretend. Write down the alphabet, you know, do something that's going to make your pen write in a manner that looks like you're taking notes. And that's going to be everything um, because that, that's also, that's what they're doing. And you'll find that out later as you go in life and you start getting higher level roles where you interview individuals. You're going to be sitting there thinking, I already know what he's going to say or what she's going to say, but you pretend like you're, you're interested. And so that's just a little, little trick of the trade, I guess. Well, I can vouch for that because not only is that something I've used in the professional setting, I think I ask questions where I don't care about the answers in most of my social settings as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> small talk goes a long ways, but it's necessary. Evil that we need here. Another thing that just seems like an absolute nightmare is just that Job searches are computerized, so having your resume stand out online seems incredibly difficult because you're going up against not just 10 people, but hundreds, maybe even thousands of people applying for one position. So how do you make sure you stand out in both an online search or just your resume as well? No. Well, the first thing I'm going to say is the easiest way. We'll work from easiest to hardest. Easiest one is do you have individuals in that industry, in that company? Because if you can get a referral from them, don't be afraid to ask, even if they're like, your second, you know, line of friends or third line of friends, don't be afraid to ask them for referrals because one, if they choose you, a lot of times companies have an incentive program that they'll give them, you know, an X amount of money if you're, if you're around. So you're kind of, you know, doing them a favor as well as they are. So, and that's how, um, so reach out for those referrals. It, and the most important thing is it pushes your resume to the top. The moment you get a referral, it goes to the top of the pile and they'll send you a, just basically a complimentary screening interview. And so that, that goes a long way. That's the easiest one. Um, the, and then the another one's going to be, you know, there's been, since the beginning of time, people who have been not as qualified as other individuals have gotten the, the roles they've gotten due to the fact that they can present themselves in a much more in a pleasant light. And that's going to be get rid of any jargon you have in your resume. Absolutely nothing that requires acronyms or just sounds fluff or, you know, none of that, just metrics. That's all they care about. You grew the business this much, or you did this many amounts of, a, uh, you know, calls against the quota or some kind of, you know, whatever your KPIs are, mention those and how you outperformed them or how you worked your way to, to excel or to kind of meet them. That's all they care about. And another sales tactic that um, I just recently learned, you know, not too long ago is don't give them everything. When you have all this fluff and you tell them, you know, how you got it and how you worked out this solution, this project, well, what do they need you for? Now they've already, they've got all the information they need on your resume. So they're not going to necessarily need to call you and wonder, oh, how did you do this? So when you show up, you have nothing to really present. 
So making sure that you give them the metrics and how you perform, but then leave some room, leave some so that when they do contact you, they have to ask like, how did you grow the business? You know, by 5%, how did you come in and, you know, hire X amount or number of individuals with that game plan you had or the year, the year strategy, because they don't know. And it wasn't on your resume. All your resume says is I'm a performer. Come call me. If you, if you ask, if you, if you have questions about how I did it, that's what that's going to, that's what that's going to be. So getting rid of all that and really just bringing it, breaking it down to um, just metrics. Another one on the resume is going to be, you know, since we're young and everyone, when you're, when you're young, tell you get rid of college stuff, you know, it's not, you know, you want to start focusing on your, on your real career, on your, you know, anything post-grad and to a degree that's, that's fair. But if you ever, wherever, you know, the real life is like college. If you've ever been in extracurricular activities and you had a leadership role, I mean, companies eat that up. If you were in a fraternity or a sorority, if you were part of a program activities board or a scholarship committee, that is, that's leadership. And that's what, that's what companies are looking for. Um, a big companies like medical sales company, they are looking for top tier performers, but they want to know someone that's got a personality. Can you come out and can you, can you meet with the clients? Can you understand what they're doing? Um, you know, can you sit down and have dinner and be pleasant? You know, they want to know these things because that's a 90% of those, of those kinds of roles. So making sure that you list out some of that stuff down there. You know, if you were part of anything, some kind of uh, maybe a athletics program that wasn't D1 or, B, or, or part of sanctioned by the school, but it was more of a, you know, intramural type thing, you throw it in there if you were the captain or if you were doing something like that. Those go a long ways. And, you know, I think we've all been there. We, we all secretly cherish some of the memories we had from high school, from college, when we played sports. So it always has a soft spot for uh, a lot of individuals that were athletes back in their, you know, in their younger years. And it's another way to make a positive connection. You might have that in, in common. So, Absolutely. With a challenging year, of course, with the pandemic and quarantine, and for you, switching careers, moving, a little bit of everything for you in the last year. So what do you feel is the biggest lesson you've learned from the last 12 challenging months? I, I, I thought about that and I, I came up with three small answers. The first one's going to be um, have goals, daily goals, weekly goals, long-term goals, write them down, put them up on a board, write them down in a notebook. Because if you don't do it, it's too easy to keep yourself. I mean, sorry, it's too easy to not keep yourself accountable. You have to, you have to meet these quotas. So when you're applying for roles, you're applying for jobs at first, it's going to be more of a wide net approach. And you want to meet those, you know, you want to meet those five applications, 10 applications a day and keep yourself accountable to them because as you start casting all these, all these nets and whatnot, you'll start hearing from something. That's when you start filing things down. And that's when you start kind of doing some of the things we've, we've talked about. But until that happens, you're not going to receive any real calls if you're just coming out and you're doing one application a day. That's, you know, that's rookie numbers. You can't do that. Um, another thing is going to be, there's studies that show, keep yourself busy, have a hobby, have deadlines, have a routine, have schedules because a lot of individuals think that you can just kind of, oh, I'm just going to apply for uh, this and that's all I'm going to do for five months or two months or whatever that's going to be. But we actually underperform as humans when we don't have a pretty full plate. You got to have a full plate. That's when you're at optimal peak and you can come out and you just, your, your brain has a switch that just goes, oh, we got to get, we got to get going. I can't, I can't take a break. I can't lollygag because I have this, 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 and that. And that's what's going to get you going. Um, um, almost, and sorry, it's a long one, but, um, you know, looking for keeping your head on a swivel when you're looking for jobs and roles, it's like buying a car. You don't ever want to have to do it when you have to, you know, you want to have time. You want to, you want to be patient. You want to know that you can say no to these offers and whatnot and keep yourself in a good position so you can leverage this, um, 
because what they're, you know, what they're really trying to do, the businesses, as much as we are, we're trying to leverage for a higher salary and whatnot. They're trying to leverage you for a lower salary. They're, you know, people are retiring, people are moving out of their roles. And so they can hire individuals for $10,000, $15,000 less than what, you know, you really are worth. So making sure that you have time to just say no to some and never being in a hurry, that's going to be key. Um, this is the, this is, this is what I'm going to end with though, is all these things we talked about are great and dandy, but at the end of the day, if you're not passionate about these roles you're pursuing, if you're not, it doesn't excite you, you're, you're not going to do anything. I mean, it's really, you're just going to be miserable. So making sure that when you're, be selective when you're applying for these jobs and whatnot, because you want to get up in the morning and be ready to go and do the same thing the next day. And I mean, we've all been in those jobs where we're like, Jesus, we, I need to go home. Mm -hmm. I can't do this anymore. And making sure that, you know, life's too short for that. You know, do something that excites you because at some point in time, you're going to be 75 or 80 and you're going to look back and you're going to either be really happy about what you did or you're going to think, well, I guess I did my part. You know, my kids are safe. My, they have, they have uh, meals and they have a roof over their heads, but that's not life. Life was never intended to be that way. So, you know, have some value, you know, and, and enjoy what you're going to do. And jump after. That's also going to provide less you know, how many times, how many hours do you run on this, on this podcast? You know, I mean, you must put countless hours every day, but not once have you ever questioned, oh, I don't know if I want to do that today, you know, because it's something you love. And so when you do that, those questions don't come up. Why am I working so late? Why am I working so early? Um, it's just a natural, I get to do this. So that's, that's really it. Making sure you're selective. It's incredibly wise advice. I especially love your point about staying busy because I find that if I have a hundred things to do, I can get 99 done. But if I have three things to do, I get zero done. It's that extra. It's, it's what adrenaline is for, right? Those, yeah. That's my caffeine, basically, get me moving. Absolutely. Well, before I get you out of here, before I get you out of here, I have to ask about your travels and your trips. So you've done a lot of international travel over the last several years. So as you look back upon your trips, which are the cities that you still think about, the ones that left the strongest emotional mark? Mm, you know, my favorite one's Austria. Don't ask me why. I think it has a very Harry Potter-like aura, and I love it. But maybe it's also because you and I were there at that time, and it was holidays, and so the Christmas markets were going. Christmas markets. Yeah. It's, it's just a different, you know, it's nice to know that even 1,000, 5,000 miles away, that holiday spirit somehow transcends over, and you're like, pretty similar. You know, it's very different, but at the same time, it's, you know, you know, everyone's just hanging out and hanging out and having a good time. And it's cold. I mean, it was like 16 degrees, maybe 17 degrees. We were freezing, but it, it was just this, you know, it's Christmas time and lights are everywhere and things are going on. And uh, obviously Munich, Munich's, but that's, you know, Oktoberfest and whatnot. And that's just maybe because again, it comes back to tradition and it's you're, you're in the grand scheme of things you are being part of, you're a part of this like old, old tradition that's been going on for Man, maybe a thousand, two thousand, maybe even more than that uh, years, and so that's really fun to kind of be a part of and see everybody take hold of that. So yeah, I think those are my top two. No, I love your point on Christmas markets. I tell people who haven't been to Europe, I say there's something about a Christmas market, and doesn't matter what city you go to. But yeah, the one in Austria and Vienna was was spectacular. As travel becomes more available, what are the locations you're excited to to visit first? intimate traveling in the sense of like maybe i want to really want to go to italy but i don't want to do the rome the, in the milan or any of that i just want to go somewhere like tiny little town you know that you maybe have to take a train or two just and just stay there instead of me trying to take everything in 
in very large quantities, just taking it maybe there for a week and a half and just really kind of trying to immerse myself in the culture and hanging out with people, you know, probably mispronounce every word that I do say, but at the end of the day, it's, that's really how they live versus, you know, when you do go to Rome and everyone's hustling and bustling and there's, everyone speaks English. Um, that's cool too. It's not the same. So you're talking about actually having a real vacation instead of something just flying around nonstop. Yeah. Yeah, I am <laughs> just for that. Um, and I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn at least beginner level, um, uh, you know, level of the language. Cause I, there's nothing more helpless than showing up and she's the individual doesn't, the cashier doesn't know what, uh, what you're saying and they yeah. don't know, have a way to interpret it. So yeah, that's frustrating too. Cool, man. Okay. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Later. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Much appreciation to Luis. Uh, we'll bring him back on again to talk a little bit more about digital interviews and more questions that one should ask during an interview. And of course, to get updates from his travels. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from any given runway show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Adiento. Randall has become like, you know, New York's favorite son.